welcome to Meanwhile in the Future. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast about the future. Every episode, we start with a trip to the future. Then we come back to now to talk with experts about what that future might really be like. Ready? Great. Let's go to the year 2060. All right, well, let's move on to our next amazing deal. Oh, yes, this one. Okay, this one I'm really excited about. So you're a conscientious person. We all are. And you know that climate change is looming, that its impacts will forever change our planet. But what are you actually going to do about it? Are you going to take an extra bag to the store? Recycle? Sure, but is that really going to be enough? Thankfully, scientists at Haldane Labs have a better way for you to battle climate change. And here with me today is Dr. G from Haldane Labs to explain to us how this whole thing works. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, hi there. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to explain. Uh, our lab uses uh, state-of-the-art genetic engineering techniques to slightly uh, tweak your bundle of joy. And uh, what, what happens is, you know, you can put in a gene for meat intolerance here and a, a gene for height there. And, and all these little things can kind of help you secure the future uh, with the future. And, and the procedure is 100% safe, uh, guaranteed to cut future carbon emissions. You know, you're already thinking about what kind of future your little ones uh, might come into. Uh, Why not help them shape that future before they're even born? Now I know what you're thinking. I'm already spending so much on genetic modifications for my baby. How much extra will this actually cost me? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Right now, for a limited time, you can get the full, and let me say say that again, the full Green Earth Gene Bundle for just $13.99. That's $1399, folks. The deal's not going to last long, so make sure you face scan now to reserve your spot. So in this future, humans have decided that the way to combat climate change is through genetically engineering ourselves. We hear a lot about genetic engineering of plants and animals, but in 2012, a philosopher named Matthew Liao co-authored a paper that proposed altering human biology to combat climate change. I'll let him explain. Uh, And I am a philosopher and I work in bioethics. And in the bioethics literature, there are a lot of people talking about human enhancement, uh, how we can use drugs, you know, take drugs to uh, make ourselves happier, smarter, more, uh, more beautiful, etc, etc. And I was thinking, well, those are, uh, those are using sort of uh, enhancements for personal gains. What if we can also use uh, something like, uh, you know, enhancements to make ourselves better and mitigating a, and adapting to the effects of climate change. In the paper, Liao and his colleagues propose a number of possible changes to human biology to help us combat climate change. When the paper came out, it got a lot of attention. Some people thought Liao and his colleagues were trolling the academic community or that it was some sort of early April Fool's joke. Bill McKibben, a prominent environmental advocate, tweeted that the suggestions in the paper were the, quote, worst climate change solutions of all time. And, of course, climate skeptics thought it was totally insane to alter human genetics in response to a problem that they don't believe in. Now, in the paper and in subsequent interviews, Liao and his co-authors say that they're not necessarily advocating for any one of these modifications in particular, but rather saying that scientists should look into how feasible changing certain aspects of human biology might be. And here on Meanwhile in the Future, we are all about taking on specific future possibilities. So I decided to go through the suggestions in the paper and figure out how they might work. To help sort through whether or not these changes are possible, I called Amy Maxman. Hi. How are you? All right. I'm good. <laughs> Maxman is a former evolutionary biologist, and she's now a science journalist. She just wrote a big feature for Wired magazine about CRISPR, a new gene editing technique that has a lot of people talking about the crazy future possibilities for genetic engineering. 
So let's go through Liao's proposals one at a time. And let's start with night vision. I just came back from England, and it was a sort of uh, came back at night. And so, if you fly at night, you'll see that uh, um, you'll see that there's so many lights on. So you know, imagine if you can just uh, globally reduce light. Uh, you know, sort of the, the the amount of light that we use at night. But the problem is, we wouldn't be able to see very well. But it turns out that um, you know cats can see just as well as we can during the day, but they can see seven times better than we can at night.、Um, and so、uh, the thought here is that well, there's some sort of genetic basis for why cats can you know have night vision. If if we can figure out scientifically、uh, how people can have night vision, you know what are the genes involved, etc., etc., and we can kind of help people gain night vision while they still maintain their eyesight, you know, their perfect eyesight during the day. You, we wouldn't need so much electricity、uh, at night、uh, because people can see better at night. So the first problem here is that cats don't actually have the same day vision that humans do. The human retina has about ten times more cone cells, which are the receptors that see color and function in bright light, than cats do. So during the day, humans can actually see motion about ten to twelve times better than a cat. And many experts think that cats don't see the same number of colors that we do, although they're divided over whether cats see in mostly blues and grays, or whether they see like dogs, where everything is just a little less saturated. And there seems to be kind of like mechanics issues involved in like the way that rods and cones are sort of stacked up in our small retinas. So yeah, maybe we could enhance night vision. Let's just pretend, let's suspend disbelief and say we could enhance our night vision. It might come at the cost of say decreasing. Um, our cones, and so then we'd have to give up this thing that makes us see in the day, and we're day creatures, and cats are night creatures,、um, and that's probably something you really don't want to do. Okay, so night vision is probably not going to work for us without having to give up some day vision with it. The next adaptation Liao talks about is actually inducing a meat allergy in people to get us to eat less meat. And so one of the things that we came up with was this meat patch idea, which is you know so the idea is that you know about eighteen、uh, percent、um, of the greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock farming. So if we eat less meat, then we can we could greatly reduce our、uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And so we thought that you know maybe we could、um, you know come up with some sort of meat patch so that uh, um, you know some something where we create some sort of mild intolerance to eating meat. Um, and that way, they would be sort of naturally not want to eat those type of meat. In his paper, Liao talks about inducing an allergy to a protein called BSA. The problem there is that BSA is in a lot of things: milk, eggs, dogs, cats. So basically, somebody that has a hypersensitivity to BSA might also be expected to be allergic to all of these other things.、Um, So that's a lot to take on. I mean, if you talk to people who have peanut allergies, they don't really appreciate having a huge allergic response、um, to the possibility of some minute amount of peanuts and things. Can you imagine if, like, suddenly anything with eggs or milk or、um, any kind of mammal protein caused this bad reaction? When we spoke, Liao actually talked about a different protein that could be used for this meat patch. Lone star ticks carry a sugar called alpha gal, which is also found in red meat, but not in people. 
And normally, uh, alpha-gal in rep in meat poses no problems for people because people process it through their digestive system. Basically, they eat it and it goes into their digestive system. But when a lone star tick bites a person, it transfers that alpha-gal into the bloodstream. And what this does is that it causes a person's body to produce antibodies to fight the sugar. And so the next time you, a person eats red meat, the person would have an allergic reaction. And the reaction could be mild or severe. But alpha-gal has the same problem that BSA does. It's found in all mammals except for old-world monkeys and humans. People allergic to alpha-gal seem to be able to eat poultry and fish just fine. But if they eat pork or lamb or beef, the allergic reaction includes everything from hives to gastrointestinal upset to anaphylactic shock. Allergies are no joke, so would you really want somebody to become hypersensitive to a lot of things they're going to encounter in the world around them? It would be really hard to control the severity of the allergic reaction that any one person had to something like BSA or alpha-gal, which means you're possibly setting people up for some nasty and even deadly reactions. The next adaptation Liao talks about is breeding humans to be smaller. To address ecological footprints, maybe we can just have smaller people. Um, and a reduction of just 15 centimeters of average height would mean a mass reduction of about 23% for men and about 25% for women. Uh, so the idea there is that our ecological footprints are correlated with how big we are. There are a couple of challenges with trying to breed for or engineer height. The first is that height isn't a single gene. So, in the most recent paper I found on height, there are 697, this is a paper in Nature, 697 genes involved in height. Since there's not a good way to select for height genetically, another method Liao talks about in this paper is using treatments that cause babies to be born light, to have a low birth weight. Basically, that's really dangerous. That's the thing a mom does not want, is a child with an extremely low birth weight. That's leading to all sorts of problems. So trying to make us shorter would be really hard and possibly dangerous for mothers and babies who go for the low birth weight treatment. But what about less physical ways of decreasing someone's impact on the climate? The next method Liao talks about is using cognitive enhancement to decrease the number of babies that a person has. It turns out that there's a direct link between cognition and lower birth rates. And so we thought that if we give people, if we just, you know, imagine if you just give people cognitive enhancements such as Ritalin and Modafinil, they might, that might increase their cognitive ability. And at the same time, uh, there's evidence that they'll have, you know, they would have fewer children, you know, when you increase that ability. Once again, this idea runs into some genetic trouble. There's no one gene for IQ. In fact, there are thousands of genes that have a small impact on someone's overall intelligence. Plus, Maxman points out that this plan ignores the other things that are directly correlated with the number of children that a person has. Things like access to health care and poverty and education. Simply giving someone modafinil isn't going to solve those things. So I guess the idea is by genetically making people have better cognition, you can sidestep the idea that women should, you know, that people should have better access to education and better access to health services with contraceptives and things like that. If you buy this idea that it's cognition and that it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with education and poverty. And if we zoom out for a second and look around our world, do we really think that being smarter means having less of an impact on the environment? If we're going back to climate change being the whole impetus for the whole thing, I'm not sure that smarter people are better for the environment. Um, I think there's plenty of greedy, smart people who like to take airplanes and um, like to use all sorts of fossil fuels and all of that stuff. So I don't know if smarter equals better for the environment. And this brings us to the last modification that Liao talks about. 
empathy. One of our other solutions is to sort of maybe there's some evidence that、um, you know if you give people oxytocin, they're more willing to cooperate with other people.、Um, and so we thought that maybe we could use ox- people could take oxytocin so that they would be more empathetic and altruistic and be willing to collaborate on problems such as climate change. Now you might remember that just a few weeks ago we talked about empathy on this very podcast, and you might remember that empathy is actually a really hard thing to define. Liao's idea is to give hormones like oxytocin and serotonin to people, and perhaps decrease someone's testosterone so they'll work with people better. And for all of those, they are known to have really broad effects.、Um, that's what makes like antidepressants so complicated. You know, only like a third of people respond to serotonin reuptake inhibitors or something like that, like because. We're complicated, and they work differently in different people. And because they do several things, like if you decrease testosterone, sure, let's even say you become more empathetic. It's also linked with infertility and fatigue and loss of muscle mass and things you really don't want to do to someone. So you, these are not things you want to just mess around with with hormones. They have a, a lot of effects. So there are a few problems with these specific proposals, but Liao says that these were just meant to be thought experiments, ideas put out there so that other people can run with them. So let's back up and talk about this idea more broadly: the idea that we should genetically engineer or breed ourselves to be better. That might sound familiar to you. People are worried about just human engineering, genetic engineering, generally, because of the the history of eugenics, and、um, and rightly so, I think. I mean, to be honest, it sounds a lot like eugenics. Now, you might be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa! Eugenics was a Nazi thing. It was forced sterilization and mass murder. And Liao is very clear that he has no plans to force anyone to be shorter, or to take modafinil, or to have cat eyes. But eugenics actually didn't start out as something that was forced on people. When eugenics started, they weren't going to start out like people being Hitler. It started out like, let's make a better race. Let's make people better. Human. It was like human enhancement. It's called the same words we're using now. Enhance people. I'm not saying we're one step away from Nazi-style eugenics here, but rather that this is a road that we've been down before, and that it did not end well for us. So we should think carefully here. Look, climate change is a really tough problem, and it's going to need a whole lot of different solutions to make the future livable and just, and not horrible. But this particular solution has a lot of problems, both logistically and ethically. So maybe this future is one that we should tread very carefully into. Now, it's not that Maxman is against genetic engineering. I think genetic engineering might be really helpful when it comes to climate change. Only I think more towards not humans, but like. You know, right now they're trying to make better biofuels,、uh, so that you know microbes can pump out fuel when given sugar, and to engineer food that can withstand droughts. To me, those are interesting things. It's just that she thinks that there are other ways that could be cheaper, less dangerous, and more effective than trying to give us all cat eyes or make us all shorter. Why can't we all put our heads together? Why can't all you know smart people really take it as a challenge and just like yeah, changing poverty and、um, building better housing and figuring out how we're going to feed people as we have more droughts and house people when we have more floods? Those are really hard problems, and it would be better if maybe if people thought about those versus. Thinking about genetic engineering people to to care about people. Liao says that maybe this particular set of ideas won't work. The genes for height and IQ are tough to pin down, and our eyes might not actually be able to see well in all light conditions. But he's full of other ideas. Maybe furs. So、uh, you know.、Uh, 
right right now i think the trend is towards not having a lot of hair on your body but imagine that it you know it turns out that hair is really good for regulating temperature and so if you can have sort of you know like if we naturally grow a lot of hair that can keep us warm during the winter but sort of we can shed them during the summer that might be something that is sort of worth ex- looking into and if we're just spitballing maxman has one too my sci-fi novel we get rid of the greedy gene <laughs> That would solve it. We stop being gluttonous and things get better. Um, But there's no greedy gene. If you want more on the future of genetic engineering of humans or non-humans, head to gizmodo.com, where, as usual, we'll post links and some more information. Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast from Gizmodo. It's produced by me, Rose Evelyn. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music that you're listening to right now is by Broke for Free. Special thanks this week to Darren Orff. If you have ideas for possible futures we should be imagining, we would love to hear them. You can leave them in the comments, say hi on Twitter, or find us on Facebook. You can also send us an email at overthinkingit at gizmodo.com. Also, this is our 20th episode, which is very exciting for me. If you want to give us a 20th episode present, you can go to iTunes and leave us a nice review. It really does help. That's all for this future. Come back next week for a new one.